This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me or rejoining me here on this lovely Friday morning with my show, Carpe Diem. I'm really super excited to have my guest here today, John Gibson. Uh, John Gibson has been near and dear to my family's heart since I was a little girl. He's uh, been referred to as Uncle Gibby by me uh, throughout the course of my life. And uh, he's just a stellar human being outside of all of his accomplishments and uh, accolades and awards and whatnot. So what I do generally before I turn it over to unscripted dialogue is I'm just going to read a little bit of John's bio uh, and uh, just to give you a little bit of background. So John Gibson is the soccer coach, has been a soccer coach for 35 years at the youth and soccer senior comp- competitive levels, uh, nine years with the co- collegiate level, and two years at the professional league, founder of Hamilton Soccer Hall of Fame, founder of Grassroots Soccer Hamilton, president of the Hamilton and District Soccer Association, director of the board of directors for the Ontario Soccer Association, owner and developer of Soccer World Hamilton, Soccer World London, Soccer World Kingston, Soccer World Dartmouth, indoor soccer consultant, as well as professional soccer consultant. So it's, I don't think I've said the word soccer so many times. (laughs) (laughs) So Uncle Gibby, I want to welcome you to my show, Carpe Diem. We've been talking about this for quite some time, and I'm really grateful that we were able to coordinate our schedules and make this work for today. So thank you for taking time out of your hectic schedule to participate in this conversation with me and my listeners for an hour. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be part of your show. I'm very proud of what you've accomplished. Well, thank you, and I'm super-duper proud of you. And, uh, of course, anybody here for where we live and abroad uh, knows that your name is synonymous with soccer. And uh, not unlike all the other guests that I've had on my show, regardless of what it is that they endeavor to do or what they're stellar at, uh, I'm always interested to know the inception of my guest's journey. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit, Uncle Gibby, about the inception of your journey with soccer, how you knew you, you were truly passionate about this, and how you turned this and morphed it into your entire life. All right. Uh, I guess I'll try to make a long story as short as I can. Uh, well, there's no. There, we're okay for time. We just started. That's okay. No problem, kiddo. <laughs> Uh, I came to I came to Canada when I was uh, one years old from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, started playing soccer around I think I was around six or seven with a, a club that's now known as Mount Hamilton, one of the more well known clubs in southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually called Linden Park Church at the time. Uh, it was an interesting uh, demographic of that team because it went from ages seven to twelve. Uh, there was none of this under 10, under 11, under 12. We were just one team with 15 kids and all mixed ages and started playing and continued playing. And uh, moving on to when I was 16, I started playing senior soccer when I was uh, adult soccer when I was 16. And uh, 
ended up going to a club called Barnash United where I met my mentor coach and your father, John McDonald, and uh, stayed with Dundas for several years as a player and uh, and as a coach. And uh, ended up, I started coaching when I was 25. I was a player coach. Um, had a good playing record at uh, Dundas, but I really took to coaching and really enjoyed coaching. And uh, from there, I was given the opportunity to uh, to go professional uh, in the old Canadian Soccer League that used to go coast to coast. And uh, I, I went to Kitchener Spirit. I went to Kitchener Spirit as a uh, assistant coach and, assistant and so manager. Wait. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just going to say for the day back in the day when you were actually playing soccer, what was your preferred position? Anywhere on the field. Really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I I, I was moved around. Uh, I was very uh, adaptable as a player. I ended up playing striker, uh, and I'd probably say that's where I enjoyed it the most uh, when it was all said and done. But for me, it was always just being about on the field and playing, uh, just the passion mm-hmm. of the sport and loving the sport and just uh, loving to contribute to the team. Fantastic. And so for all the titles that you have uh, had and all the different hats that you've worn, what is your favorite within all of it? Because obviously you're doing things now and have been for quite some time at the leadership level. So, you know, is there a particular demographic of, of uh, soccer players that you prefer to coach? Uh, is it because obviously you're involved at the political level, too, within soccer? You can't have these titles and not be. So, you know, is it changing things? Is it? Is it getting people more involved in the sport? What is your favorite aspect of soccer, if you have one? It's been several, Lisa. The coaching perspective of it is uh, I use the uh, analogy now for young coaches who they try to build what they call great teams. And I, after reflecting back on 35 years and, and winning provincial championships and going to national championships and coaching professionally and getting accolades for what you do. What you remember the most as a coach, at least what I remember the most, is the relationships, the players I coached, how I was able to help them and influence them. I, I've done a little bit of math lately, and I, I think I'm up to about 25 players that I've actually sent on to bigger and better opportunities, such as scholarships, playing for the national team, playing professional soccer in Europe, um, the players I've touched, uh, the players I've had influence on, uh, I would say that is probably my most favorite part of the journey. And looking yes. back and how you were able to, i give you an example. You're walking through the mall and you come walk by this young couple not far off your age and they go, Mr. Gibson. And then you all of a sudden you realize who it is. And they've got two little kids with them and nice family. And for them to remember you, that's your legacy. Absolutely. That's your, that's your legacy. So that would be my probably my most favorite part. Mm-hmm. I also enjoy all the, I won't say I don't enjoy the politics of it, uh, and trying to impact. What I think I enjoy the most of what I'm doing now from an administration point of view is trying to change the direction of the game where we are in Canada and try to build, try to build eventually to a better national team mm-hmm. um, and giving more opportunities for that. And, Hopefully, uh, one of the hats I didn't give you that I wear was consulting to 
bring a new professional soccer league into the country. So Fantastic. that's the ultimate goals that I like to work on right now. Mm-hmm. And so do you, when you go to sleep, do you dream about soccer too? <laughs> no. Is it always uh, soccer? You know what? I dream about the politics that I have to deal with. It. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I have nightmares. I don't have dreams. Right. Well, I think what you've been doing is fantastic, and I was really excited when my youngest, uh, my daughter, wanted to start soccer for the first time. I gave both my children choices uh, this year as to what it is they wanted to try, you know, and uh, coming from a soccer background, I mean, there's always been influence. I mean, you know my brother Craig and my dad, obviously, and and uh, many people, and so I'm all about, you know, give give children the option to find out and discover for themselves what it is that they're passionate about. And so when my daughter chose soccer for the first time this year, I was like, wow, okay, there's there's some DNA carrying over here. <laughs> and, I mean, I certainly tried soccer for one year myself. And, um, you know, I think I brought a little bit of soccer shame to the family because I think my first goal was in my own net. So I knew it was time to move on. <laughs> I'll give you the good news. You're not the first one in your family to do that. You can talk to your dad about that one. Woohoo! <laughs> I love the dirt. <laughs> so, uh, so when you, you know, for all the different people that you've coached, for all the people that have been immersed in your world of soccer, and we'll talk about the coaching specifically, what are the skills initially that you see that separates somebody from being, you know, a good-spirited soccer player, somebody who enjoys the game, perhaps they're doing it more for exercise or fun, versus somebody who definitely has a gift. What is it that stands out to you that right at the beginning, perhaps, before they completely hone that to a different level, do you, what are the qualities that you see that stand out? In, in, in my opinion, Lisa, there's two types of elite uh, individuals and my philosophy just doesn't go to soccer I think it goes to life and life skills mm-hmm. that people become successful and some who don't and it, and it, by measuring success is, is, is another debatable thing but when you talk about financial success and people that have become big leaders and good leaders the ones who do become the best players aren't necessarily the most skilled players the one who becomes the best player is the one who's got the most dedication, the one who's got the most sacrifice. Uh, in other words, when you're 17, 18, 19, I'm not going to go socialize with my friends. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to nutritionally eat well. I'm going to train. I'll be up for training when I need to be. I'll be there when I need to be, and I'll be doing extra training when I have to do it. They're the ones who will succeed, but they're also the same people who will succeed in life because when you understand dedication and sacrifice and what you need to do to get somewhere is when you'll become successful or you just get lucky and win the lotto but <laughs> but but the ones who are very successful the high driven people and what high driven by dedication and sacrifice and obviously have a skill towards it but dedication and sacrifice is always 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 the best character you're looking for and when you can find that character it's amazing what individuals can come. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have great skills, but they don't have the dedication and sacrifice to, to tone that skill. Mm-hmm. So when I'm That's- looking for somebody and I'm looking for great players, I'm, the, the player I'm looking for is that one who's going to dedicate and sacrifice themselves to do what's necessary 
to become successful. Wonderful. But I relate, I relate that to life as well, though, Lisa. That's, yeah. That, that's the, uh, I think it's a quality that I have in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes, I'm too aggressive because I jump in with both feet and I'm in and I'm there and I'm, whatever, whatever project I start, I always finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's a quality that has got me to where I am in life. So and do you, do you, do you truly characterize that as aggressive or do you see that more as assertive or maybe a combination no, of the two? No, I, I think when I say aggressive is sometimes you have to be aggressive to, to jump into it. You have to be assertive, I guess, is a better description for you. You have to be confident. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're not confident, you'll, you'll never have any luck at it because you'll always be second guessing yourself. True. But as a high performance athlete, you cannot be a high performance athlete and not be confident. Mm-hmm. The two don't go together. Very it, true. You, you have to be confident. And so mm-hmm. I, I relate that to life as well, though. And, and the players I've had, I've always tried to reinforce that with them. Mm-hmm. Understand understand what sacrifice and dedication is. Mm-hmm. And so I, obviously there would be some crossover there with my next question in terms of what what differentiates uh perhaps a good coach to an outstanding extraordinary coach that's an interesting question it, it, it the it comes down to what you define as those two categories the, some are measured by the number of trophies mm-hmm. some are measured by the longevity of what they do by doing it uh, how do so how do you I, define it how do, how do I define it? For yourself, uh, yeah. You obviously can't do it without some success uh, with winning. You need you need to be a winner. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always have to be a champion, but you certainly need to be a winner. Uh, the success, I think you, and it takes it's years in, in what I consider to be successful now wasn't necessarily what I considered to be successful when I was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. At, at 30 years old, success to me was, Winning was getting results. Mm-hmm. Success to me now is how I groomed and how I developed athletes, soccer players, into good mm-hmm. soccer players, into better soccer players, and in many cases, better people. Fantastic. So it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, that's a tough definition, Lisa. Well, do you think perhaps some of your barometer of, of measurement and definition has changed as a result of the fact that you have already achieved successes between, you know, 20, 30 years ago versus now, right? When you've Absolutely. already got some successes Absolutely. under your belt, you're looking at things perhaps quite differently as a result of honing your own skills or just the wisdom and the enlightenment and your own personal growth that's resulted from your years of doing the same thing but increasingly getting better at it. Uh, absolutely, Lisa. Like I said, you, you know, you can't have the one without winning. If you don't get results, uh, nobody ever remembers the loser, even mm-hmm. though they're a quality person, quality coach, quality team. You never remember who the, who the losing side was. So you do have to get results. There's no question about that. Success, is me- success in our sporting industry is measured by that. But, but you, you do, however, always remember who scored the goal in their own net. <laughs> well, they're the funny ones. See, we always get, you know, people like your dad and me, we always love to see each other and see each other in company because the stories just get better and better. They get embellished, but they just, you always remember the stories. Right. You don't remember the games, but you remember the stories. 
Right. Absolutely. And so have you thought about writing a book about your journey with soccer? Uh, no, I have not. Doesn't interest no, you at not. all? I, 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 I enjoy speaking about it more now than I, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not the kind of person that would, um, would take the time to sit down and do that kind of project. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and also, I don't think I'm special. I don't think I'm any different than other people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I've learned a lot through the process. Uh, I've learned to take my message and deliver it now in an administrative fashion to impact mm -hmm. our game. Uh, because the message I was sending as a coach isn't that much different than the messages I'm sending as an administrator. Uh, and I actually can give an example of that. Last night I was in a, in a meeting uh, about a real possible way of of an organization uh, trying to restructure itself. And a couple of gentlemen in there were giving me all the negatives on the narrative. And I very bluntly just said to them, listen, I've experienced all those negatives. I understand all the negatives. I don't need to sit in a room and hear people tell me how I can't do things. I'll yeah. challenge you to tell me how I can do things. Fantastic. So if you tell me how to do things, then that's what will get results. And that's the same challenge you give your player. Mm-hmm. That's the same challenge you tell your team. Listen, I know that team's better now. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me how we're gonna, you know, how how we just can't beat them. It was impossible. I'm not interested. Let's and so, how did how did the vibe change in the room when you made that comment? Totally changed. Excellent. People got on board. Yeah, they do because whenever you promote the whenever you promote the positive, mm -hmm. it's hard to go back to the negative. Very when true. Pushing when you keep pushing the positive. And your glass is always half full and it's not half empty. Mm -hmm. That's when you'll see change. That's how change, change comes from confrontation and it comes from courage. Mm -hmm. And it comes from the ability to be expressive about trying to deliver it. But most of all, it comes from a positive attitude. Mm -hmm. And no different, I, these, these are the skills I learned as a coach. And I've just taken those and translated them into, uh, an administrative role. Mm -hmm. So I actually love what I'm doing right now is where I'm doing a lot of some, not, I wouldn't call it public speaking, but I'm doing presentations, mm -hmm. uh, about the soccer, about the, how the game is going to revolve, evolve, how, how we can change things. Um, mm -hmm. I don't like the politics of it, but I do like, I do like, like trying to convince people as to why we need to go that way. And so what would your vision be for the changes that would be required to make it the sport that you envision it to be? First and foremost, we need a professional league in Canada. Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't have a home for Canadian players to play. And that's not only men. We also ultimately need a women's professional program as well. How successful the women's will be is debatable. But I do believe the culture is there. To make it successful at the men's. If, if Toronto FC can average 30,000 people a game and Montreal can average 25,000 a game and Vancouver are getting 35 and change a game, thousand, it tells you the culture's there. It's not like the old days where it was just the people coming off the boat and Europeans and coming here and they're the only ones to support it and they didn't even really support it because they want to always support their team back in Europe. Mm -hmm. it, it's changed. If you go to Toronto FC, you can see the whole end of stand, it's all, it's all a fan club. Mm -hmm. The culture of our, of our sport has changed. So 
delivering a, a full professional league to our country, first and foremost, first and foremost. And then it's from that point downwards as to how we develop our talented talented pool. And I and I think we need to stop over-governing our, our recreational players, which is 99% of our soccer population are recreational players, and we govern them, over-govern them. We overrule them. We put so many restrictions on them. Even to your to your young daughter who just started playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how old is she, Lisa? Uh, she's five. Five. So we tell that five-year-old, you can only play once a week. And you can only do it for a matter of 40 minutes. And you can have one practice once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if a little five-year-old wants to play soccer three or four times a week? Why do we want to stop that? Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand these these. I, that's where I'm talking about where we overgovern. So that's where I would make the changes. I'd make it more flexible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, what's the climate within your circles of having those discussions in terms of receptivity and and people sharing your vision? It's mixed. Mm-hmm. It's mixed. You, you, it, it's right across the board. Um, and we're it's so because we're a complete volunteer system of developing our game, it's just hard to get people to sit down and take the time, you know, for the people who run Dundas Youth Soccer. These these great people who are volunteer to run it, they work their butts off, and they don't have time to talk about where you want to take the future. You know, mm-hmm. so that's the challenging part because they don't really look at it because you live within it. You're, you're so evolved, you're so involved within it, you don't have the time to stand back and look at it and go, whoa, what are we doing wrong? And then we have, unfortunately, we have egos. Um, and everybody, you know, thinks they're a soccer expert. And so it, it's, a, it's a struggle. I, I'm not going to lie, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop me from preaching the narrative. Well, good for you. We need you to uh, to keep fulfilling that plight and that role. So why is it that we don't have a professional league? Why, why has that never come to fruition? Well, we did have uh, back in 1980s, uh, okay. uh, early 80s to the early 90s. We had a Canadian, mm-hmm. full Canadian soccer league. That was a part-time professional league. Um, since then, there's not being a champion of the cause, I, I think is the best way I can say it. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have a champion of the cause, and that champion is the owner of the Hampton Tiger Cats, Bob Young. Okay. And Bob is, is pushing his staff and his senior leaders and Scott Mitchell, the CEO, to let's get this off the ground, let's figure out what we got to do, and let's get Canadians involved, and let's push it. So it takes, mm-hmm. to me, it takes a champion, and it obviously mm-hmm. takes money. There's no question about that. It takes people that are very affluent in life and have done successful to deliver what we need to deliver because it's not, you know, this is a these are million dollar projects. These are not thousand dollar projects. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're 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 building something of scope that has to travel, you know, three thousand kilometers in either direction if you go coast to coast to games. So mm-hmm. it's costly 
And uh, but we do have the people driven to want to do it now, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're pushing the Canadian Soccer Association to make that happen, and they're working mm-hmm. hard to make it happen. So it's just taking a champion, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. somebody that wants to champion the cause. Excellent. And so who would you classify as the strongest soccer league going internationally, and why? Well, you'd have to put the English Premier, Premier League at number one just because of the the money. Uh, there's more money in that league than any other league in the world. Mm-hmm. Most expensive players are there. Uh, debatable where the most talented players are there, but it's obviously from a viewership the number one, the number one sport I think in the world uh, that is watched worldwide. Mm-hmm. So that's, I'd have to say the English Premier League. Okay. And Manchester's your favorite team. Manchester United, you got to be about that. Can't say City, <laughs> got to be United. Not that you see too many pictures of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, to what degree do you have to travel a lot? Um, you know, to interface with different people within the soccer world, to to advocate, to empower, to eradicate change, to promote the vision. Um, how extensive and grueling is your schedule? Uh, I'm fortunate because my schedule is based in Southern Ontario, so I'm mm-hmm. in Toronto. I'm here in Hamilton. It's it's very much uh, uh, regionalized from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, the there's people above me that are doing the bigger the bigger calls across the country, and that's guys like Scott Mitchell, the CEO of the Ticats, mm-hmm. and people like Scott who are doing a fantastic job at it. And, Working their way around the country to to make this happen, um, I'm I'm more based on the grassroots part of it and mm-hmm. focused on the let's where where can I get the Hamilton and District area of it uh, in this picture. Mm-hmm. So I and don't do travel you, a lot. Okay. Uh, do you participate in scouting? You know, looking at uh, potential talent, up and rising talent, people who are already kind of making a name for themselves. Not anymore, Lisa. I'm not. Uh, I, I gave up coaching at the elite level about three years ago. Okay. Um, I still have my old timers team, but uh, that's a fun social get together, and you know, mm-hmm. playing a Friday night and get together with my friends. And uh, so I'm not doing any of the uh, any of the coaching part of it anymore. Uh, okay. Certainly a fan. Mm-hmm. Certainly watching a lot of soccer, but no, I not not specifically scouting. Okay. And who are your mentors, Uncle Gibby? Throughout, when you look at the course of your career and, and, you know, all your, all the levels that you've achieved and risen to, uh, you know, who are some of your standout mentors in your oh, soccer? There's been many. Your dad mm-hmm. is certainly one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Your dad is the one that got me interested in coaching. Uh, I didn't know he's that. He's the reason I'm coaching today. Uh, I had no idea. Your dad was certainly influential to getting me into the collegiate level after he retired from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so your dad would certainly be one of it. Um, my business partner, John McGrain, would certainly be one of those in- individuals who who have influenced my life greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's many other, there's many people that are, 
I, you know, I respect and I, I, I'm just a believer that you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the day when you stop learning is the day that you become a stubborn old man. And Agreed. I don't want to be, and I don't want to be one of those. No, that wouldn't look good on you at all. <laughs> no, no. No. no, that's one hat that uh, I don't want to ever see you wearing. I don't think we ever have to worry about that. <laughs> but uh, so when you, you know, when you look at all the different soccer players, all the known names and whatnot, so who and for whatever reason, based on your definition, uh, and there might be a crossover with many qualities and characteristics outside of personal stats attached to a, a particular soccer player, but who, who would you say is, is top of the game? Uh, either past, present, current? Uh, you know, there's been many. Uh, you know, through our years at, uh, at Dundas United, uh, starting with your dad, we had many players who were excellent, excellent players who went on to become very good. And then I've, uh, I've been fortunate enough to meet many professional players that mm-hmm. played at the highest level. There's a, uh, you know, a gentleman called Gordon Hill that played for Manchester United uh, for many years in England, several times for England, uh, now lives in Florida, and Gordon's a very close friend of mine. Um, wow. You know, uh, Colin Franks, who's a friend of your father's and a friend of mine, Colin was the captain of the Toronto Blizzard in the North American Soccer League and also, you know, played for uh, Sheffield United and uh, a tremendous man, tremendous uh, there's been many over the years where I've, you know, you, you've admired and all for different reasons, uh, all for different reasons. So it's great to see players that are great and it's great to see young lads, uh, young lad, uh, named Ryan Dodds, who was, whose father Mike Dodds played for your dad and I had done that United for many years. I remember him. Personal. Yeah. Well, Ryan played seven years in the Scottish Premier Division. Uh, Fantastic. He's now back here in Hamilton and, He's teaching at the uh, at the elementary school level. Mm-hmm. It was great to see young lads like him, and you know they go on to become successful. And a young lad named Robbie Clue that your father and I were very influential in mm-hmm. guiding uh, through his pathway, and played for the Canadian Olympic team for many many games, many games, I, probably thirty forty games. I got to guess, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, and had a good career in the Canadian Soccer League. So. There's lots of individuals. There's, there's, geez, there's too many to, to line them all off. Mm-hmm. I'd have to sit here and calculate them all, but you know, <laughs> get out the yearbooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, I had that problem when I did come to do my 60th birthday party list. Well, that's going to be hall, great. Find a hall big enough. Yeah. Well, I hope I get an invite because I want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> November 28th, honey. Okay. Well, I know my dad will want to be there for sure. Yeah. But, he has um, the information. And as far as Robbie Clue goes, it was so nice to see him when I last saw you. And the last time that was, was at the, uh, uh, the event that actually I met up with John Priestner and had him on my show as a result. That mm-hmm. was the, the, what was the actual title of that? The induction, the Hamilton Induction Hall of Fame? Yeah, the Hamilton Soccer Hall of Fame. It was yeah, that was a lovely annual evening. Induction banquet. That was a lovely evening, and it was nice to talk to Robbie Clue and some of the other people that I hadn't seen in many, many years. And, uh, and of course, you know, that would have dated back to when, you know, I'd go play on the soccer field on the sides when Dad was playing on the field with you guys. Yeah. And, you know, and then we'd all head back to the pub, and the kids would go in the corner with their bag of crisps. And 
Yeah, I remember all those good days. Yeah, well, yeah, everybody else got their drink on. The, the Soccer Hall of Fame has been uh, one of my favorite legacies. It's, it, you know, it's this ability to celebrate achievements mm-hmm. of people that come to our city and who lived in our city. And I'm very proud of being a Hamiltonian. And mm-hmm. I, when I thought of this, it was a, a great project because our, our history here in soccer is phenomenal. People have no idea how rich in soccer history we are. And starting this and then getting 500 people to an annual banquet and seeing some faces that you hadn't seen in years, it, it's been a, it's been a fantastic uh, success story. Um, I'm no longer involved with it, uh, but I'll always be the founder of it. But I'm very proud to say I did it, and it's a, it's a tremendous legacy. It's a tremendous opportunity once a year for the soccer community to come together and celebrate the past. Absolutely. And I have to tell you, as you would know, the energy in that room that night was uh, it was spectacular. You know, everybody yeah. was lit up. It was a reunion. Uh, you know, it was so positive. You know, the passion in that room was just, it, just magnetic. It was, it was off the charts electric. And, uh, you know, so to be a part of a group of people who are so stellar and, uh, you know, and for me, it was, you know, got a chance to see my dad, got to see some old faces and, uh, and celebrate something because that was very pivotal for my dad and a big part of our family growing up. And so to see all these wonderful people who shared that in common and share a lot of leadership skills and, uh, in terms of how they've endeavored to live their lives, whether they're still actively involved in soccer or not. But as you say, the qualities and the characteristics of what make people stand out, that transfers over to every aspect of their life and, Including personal philosophy and mantras and uh, and just decision making. So yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. I was really grateful to be a part of that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, and then the five minutes afterwards, I got to see you. I think it was at the Snooty Fox. <laughs> How was it? Jesus. Yeah, there were just a little bit of slide by dancing as my dad and I were heading out after he downed that's another right. pint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right because that's my uh, that's my neighborhood local. <laughs> so, I actually live exactly two blocks, and you can look out my back door and actually almost see the back of it. So. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Wow, it's nice to know you're that close. I didn't realize you were exactly that close. But we, should also, have a pub, we should have a pub lunch. Yeah, yeah, anytime. I'm using okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'd love to talk about our grassroots soccer program, too, if you yes, want. Yes, please That's, do. Uh, please do. This is uh, my latest uh, project in something very proud of. Um, this all started with the Pan Am Games. Uh, two, two years ago, um, I was asked to join the, uh, the Pan Am Legacy uh, Committee, which was uh, made up of the mayor, um, three councilmen, um, a representative from the Tiger Cats, from the stadium point of view, and uh, I think we had a representative from the uh, cultural uh, groups. Mm-hmm. And the whole project was about what are we going to do as a leg- – what are the legacy programs we're going to do for after the Pan Am game? Uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but I was the competition supervisor for the soccer in Hamilton for the games. Um, I knew a little so, bit about that, but I was going to ask you to delve into that and elaborate for us. Yeah, yeah so – it all started, this grassroots program started from what can we, you know, from the stadium point of view, 
what can we put in the stadium um, after it's all gone, other than just the Tiger Cats? Uh, is it just going to be another Ivor win that's going to be used eight times a year? And and that's what we're going to And none of us wanted that. So we, uh, the city and myself, and uh, also got another group involved called Sport Hamilton. Um, we, we came up with this program, Grassroots Soccer Hamilton. And basically what it is, is uh, it's in the precinct of Ward 3, but expanding to Wards 2 and 4. Um, and anywhere else, it's, uh, I, I, I'm just going to say it, it, it's for those who have difficulty affording uh, participating in a community, community sport. Community sport. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes the cost of it, as you all know, is pretty inhi- uh, inhibited as to whether you can do it or not. Mm-hmm. So the focus was in that precinct. Uh, there was also no organized sports program in that precinct. So we started this program. The original goal was 100 children. Uh, and we received a, an Ontario ministry grant uh, for $50,000 to fund that program. Not all that money. A part of that money was to go to physical literacy development. And about 40% of that, no, I guess 6% of that money went to the grassroots soccer program. Our target was 100 children. It would be totally free for these children uh, to come into Tim Hortons Field every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock and receive a grassroots soccer program. Uh, and they received a shirt, they received a, a knapsack bag, a water bottle. Um, every kid got an award, every kid got recognition. Um, we had a great experience for them. We actually ended up with 200 children. Lovely. And our goal for next year is 500 children. Oh, my goodness, uh, fantastic. The more important part of the goal was raising the funds to be able to do this. The city's been fantastic. It doesn't, they don't charge us for the field. They don't charge me anything to use the, the facility. Uh, I went and met to facilitation of the city. I went and met with Arsitol Mittal, the Vasco. Mm-hmm. And after a few meetings, they have been generous enough to announce that they've donated $25,000 a year for 10 years to the program. Wow. And they also donated uh, all the parking proceeds from the Pan Am Games um, to the program, which was another $35,000. Fantastic. Uh, we also got uh, the Hamilton Athletic Trust Fund is also giving us $25,000 a year for four years. So we're over, uh, we're over 400 and something thousand dollars now. That's and incredible. This is a fantastic program for these children. A, just to come into Tim Hortons Field, uh, but come in, they're all going to have full uniforms now, not just shirts, going to feel like a million dollars, look like a million dollars, and have a great time. The parents are loving it. Uh, it's been a tremendous success. We have over 50, 60 volunteers that are uh, helping us through mentoring of coaching and administration and just the organization of it, and uh, it's just been an unbelievably fantastic success that it's one that this project needs to be discovered across the rest of the country, not just not just Hamilton. It's Absolutely. an inner city inner city grassroots program for those who necessarily can't afford to play organized sports. Well, that really warms my heart. You're a good man. You're a really Thank good man. You, but, uh, you truly, you truly are. 
You, you, you know, I, I've always thought that about you. Um, I, you know, of course, some of what you're discussing here today in terms of offering details and more specifics, I didn't know all that. I knew, you know, you're synonymous with soccer. I knew what you were in terms of the pivotal role that you played in my family, uh, you know, what you've co- contributed, but I didn't know all that other stuff. And I, I just so proud to know you. Oh, thanks, Lisa. I, uh, like I said earlier, when you're talking about writing a book, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not the least bit modest. So I, this is, this is, these are the things that make me feel good as a person. Absolutely. Uh, and the things that you like to get back from your experiences. Mm-hmm. Soccer's, soccer's been very generous to me in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's financially put me where I am in life. Uh, I've had tremendous travel opportunities. I've been all over Europe, uh, all over North. I don't think there's, I think there's only two states I haven't been to, and I know Alaska is one of them, and I think Wyoming is the other one. So, okay. You know, I've been, I've been all over North America, you know, I've been down to South America, I've been over to Europe many times, I had tremendous experiences, and that's why the game, for me, I, I believe you need to pay back. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, all about that, and you're certainly doing that, uh, exponentially, and, uh, beyond any measure of, of anything I could have imagined. So good for you. Um, you. One thing you touched upon uh, that you mentioned that I'd like to kind of go back to. Now, what is your philosophy when it comes to sports uh, or even when it comes to the classroom level? You know, there's two schools of thoughts, two ways of, of people embracing uh, the whole ideology around, you know, should there still remain two distinctive categories, you know, for people who have truly uh, succeeded or something or, you know, clearly they've uh, been, they've outperformed somebody else, that they should be recognized with an award outside of people who everybody should be inclusive, even if it's a participatory award. Um, do you know where I'm going with that? I think so. I yeah. think so. I- you know, and the reason why I, I, I ask that, because, I mean, for somebody who's so immersed in sport, uh, for somebody who understands things at the competitive level, I think some of the feedback that I've received to support that there's two different schools of thought on this is, you know, one would argue we don't want to raise a culture of people where they don't necessarily recognize the distinction, particularly when we're saying we want to prepare children for the real world. You know, when you get into the workforce, when you take things to a higher level, when you're talking about, you know, being considered for a raise or a promotion, people have to understand what the criteria would be as to why one person would be more considered for those types of uh you know, rewards or benefits as opposed to somebody else. So the argument being, if we raise everybody, when when I say everybody, children primarily, with the ideology that when they get out into the real world that, you know, everybody's going to get an award for just showing up, you know, what do you think about all that? Well, to the first analogy for those where you think you don't recognize these things, I tell these people to move to Cuba or move to China because (laughs) because then everybody's equal. (laughs) <laughs> uh, competition is healthy, and mm-hmm. I'll argue that with anybody. Mm-hmm. Success, you, success is, is measured in so many different ways by an award, but the, a, a reward, an award doesn't have to recognize that you are a winner. Mm-hmm. The award recognizes that you participated, that you succeeded, 
that you went through the program and you got you got gratification for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people get too bent out of shape about giving a kid a medal. Uh, mm-hmm. The significance of the medal you receive is by the significance of the, what it represents. Absolutely. So if I win a championship, I know what that medal's for. Mm-hmm. This medal over here was a participation medal, but it recognizes that I participated. It's a keepsake. That's all these are, keepsakes. And I think people mm-hmm. get too they're out of shape over that. And I, I do believe competition is healthy. I do, I do believe, I, I know, you know, there's not a day goes by that you can't see something telling you to work out, get exercise, do, you know, become active. Other than the health reasons, there's so many other reasons people are telling you to do that. Because how do you feel after that? Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you've completed that? You know, these, these are all measurements of success, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're measurements of an accomplishment. So I think competition is healthy. I think rewarding people for a competition is healthy. And it's, it's all what that reward represents. And the individual who receives it always knows what it represents. I can mm-hmm. go to my box, box of goodies and go, oh, geez, I remember that one now. I remember that one. Yeah, that one was for the year I played. That was great. Uh, we've been giving these awards. I, I, I'm always amazed at people saying, you know, we, we reward them. We've been giving these awards since I was a child. Mm-hmm. That's a long. That's a long time ago. I've got badges from when I was six or seven years old that say Townsend District Soccer Association, 1962. That wasn't at that time. That's what would have been considered a trophy. Mm-hmm. But you know what that does? That reminds me. Yeah, you know what? That's the year I was playing soccer, and here's where I was playing. Right. I, 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 I'm very much of the thought of giving awards and, and recognition, and I'm very much about recognizing people who who achieve something of significance. Mm-hmm. Because they make that individual feel good, mm-hmm. and competitive people are the ones. Competitive people are the ones who make positive change. Mm-hmm. They can also make negative change but they are the ones who influence change. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. That's, that's how I feel about it. Absolutely. And so, you know, what is what is your feeling or outlook? Uh, you know, because you hear oftentimes when you're talking about the subject of sport, you know, really trying to get the parents on board or, you know, trying to get some parents to kind of maybe pipe down a little bit and just let coaches do their job and, you know, let children take the direction from the coaches and kind of differentiate the role between what's happening on the field versus what sometimes parents would feel inclined to do when they're behind closed doors in their own home. You know, you hear about some of these things about regarding parents who are just overzealous and, you know, really getting in people's ways. And then you hear, of course, there's the parents who are very supportive and embrace what needs to happen and let people do their jobs. You know, so what has your experience been uh, or what is the climate right now in sport with parents? It's, without a doubt, Lisa, it's a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Uh, one of the things that's being introduced in soccer uh, in the U.S. and here in Canada is what's called Silent Week. Mm-hmm. So when you go to soccer that week, you as a parent, you're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to scream, shout, whatever. It, mm-hmm. it's, we're, we're trying to change that culture where uh, 
where you have 20 coaches on the sideline and one head coach over on the other sideline. Uh, <laughs> we, we are trying to change that. And I, I wish our sport could learn some things off of sports like, uh, gymnastics is a, is a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, where you take your child to gymnastics. And my daughter was a competitive gymnast for, geez, 10, 12 years. And we took her to gymnastics and we dropped her off. We didn't get mm-hmm. to participate. And you, you didn't get a choice. You didn't get that say. You didn't get to do those things. And with competitions, you know, it's not, it's, we're, we're lucky in that instance of the sport that it's not a sport that you're yelling and screaming on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it, it teaches, it taught me a lot about being a parent and, and, and being a sport because you fully have to trust the coach to develop your child. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, in soccer and in hockey, we have a culture that's almost, uh, I think, sometimes violent. It, mm-hmm. it, borderline, it borderlines on it. And I, and I, that, that is the negative side of competitiveness, without a doubt. And what do you think precipitates that? Why do parents, uh, you know, for the certain demographic that would fall into that category of what we're describing, you know, where does that come from? I think it comes from uh, you. You want your child to do the best that they can do. You want your child to, to try hard. You want them to to work hard. Um, you know, uh, and then there's a the competitive sporting side. Thing. You got to push harder. You got to go harder. You know, go go go. And then there's a the personal opinion of the style of the play, the style of the way you want your child to play, which could be totally contradictory to what the coach wants. Uh, and then there's just, I've had a lousy day at the office and I'm, this is a, this is a ch- an opportunity for me to vent. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's an accumulation of many, many, many things, mm-hmm. but it's for too long being a culture that's been accepted. Mm-hmm. And it's a culture that we need to change. Without right. a doubt, we need to change this culture. And it's not just, not just hockey, it's soccer rather, it's, it's hockey, it's uh, minor football, you see the exact same thing in minor football. You, you see parents arguing with one another and threatening one another sometimes on the sideline. That's crazy. It's like, come on guys, like, mm-hmm. you know, let's wake up a bit and understand. So as, as a governing body, we need to do a better job of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as the, as the ones who do govern our games, we, we need to do a much, much better job of that. And our program, uh, hockey has started one. And it's called respect in, respect in hockey. Mm-hmm. And every parent, well, at least one parent of every child, has to take this online course. You don't have a choice. You have to take this, and it's all about respect. Mm-hmm. And it's all all about dealing with respect. And if you, that parent has to be in attendance at a game. Uh, they, you know, you, you've got to you've got to have this certification if you want your child to play hockey. We're talking about bringing it into soccer. I'm a believer that we should bring it into soccer, mm-hmm. uh, but also I also believe that though, as organizers and, and administrators of the game, we have to be a little more uh, zero tolerance than we are. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a combination of things, but mm-hmm. hockey has already started it, and every hockey parent will tell you about this program because <laughs> it costs them, it costs them money to take it. It's twenty five dollars, right? And, and it's and I think it's two hours on the computer. So there's some incentive to tone it down and get with the program, right? Well, yeah, you got to take it, you know. So it does bring a lot of things to light to you. It 
is when you see the examples of of it, when you're looking at a computer screen and you got your speakers on, you actually see the examples of parents berating officials, right. parents, uh, the negativity that parents actually yell at their kids. And some of them came to realize, I didn't even realize I was coming off like that. Interesting. You know, it, it, and and sometimes in retrospect, we're, we're all very good as human beings at retrospectively looking at things. Mm-hmm. And say, well, I didn't think I sounded like that, but geez, I guess I did. Well, you know, then obviously so, having the mirror in front of people is paying off and it's doing what it needs to do. So I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, so we got to bring it into soccer, and that's going to be a challenge because. Well, there's your we new task. A, there's your new job. Uh, <laughs> I don't need any more new tasks right now. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> listen, I'm pretty, I'm I'm you, pretty we're, jammed we're, up right now. We're getting close to having to wrap up here, and so okay. before we do, I would really uh, appreciate it if you're comfortable providing contact information for anybody who would need to or choose to reach out to you, whether it be questions, uh, whether it be partnership collaboration, anything that uh, any inquiries inquiries that people would like to make of you. Do you have any contact information you'd like to willingly provide? Uh, they can just contact the Hamilton District Soccer Association. Okay. You can get you can get that you can Google that anywhere. Okay, uh, sounds good. They just, they, they just contact there, and there's a we have a full time administrator who can field those inquiries, and uh, it also uh, we also have uh, grassroots soccer Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, that you can also, but you can get that through the Hamilton District Soccer Association, which all that information is there on on there on a regular basis. Sounds good. Well, listen, before we part here, I would really like to say once again what a treat, what a privilege and an honor it's been to have you not only on my show but in my life, my family's life. Uh, you know, you're well-regarded, highly respected by so many people, uh, and uh, I just really appreciate you. And I'm looking forward to soon seeing you. And if it's not at your 60th, I hope you have a fantastic birthday. And uh, and perhaps we have you come back here on the show if there's any other updates or anything changing within the world and the culture of soccer that would be beneficial for us to all learn about through you. That's great, Lisa. It's been a pleasure talking to you again, as always. And uh, good luck with your show, and good luck with whatever else you're doing. It certainly seems successful. So, well, thank you. Good. Well done. I appreciate that. Well, it's, you know, when you immerse yourself in company, other people endeavoring to live their passions who, you know, only emit positivity and operating at their highest vibrational level, you know, it's it's infectious. And so, like yourself, that's who I choose to immerse myself with. So thank you for being a part of my journey. And for my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for joining me here, rejoining me here at uh, the Contact Talk Radio Network. My name is Lisa McDonald. This is my host show, Carpe Diem. I go live every Friday at 11.04 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have any show topic ideas or you would wish to appear as a guest on my show, you can kindly reach me at Lisa McDonald, M. C-D-O-N-A-L-D 13 at gmail.com or lisamcdonaldauthor.com Thank you once again. Hope everybody has a fantastic day, a safe, enjoyable weekend. Love and gratitude to everybody. Thanks again. Bye, Uncle Gibby. Thank you. Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. For more information, please go to Lisa's website at lisamcdonaldauthor.com
The views expressed on contacttalkradio.com are those of the guest hosts and callers and not necessarily of... This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.